Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, hey. Hey, what do you say? <laughs> Cubs are going to win today. Yeah, you know, I forgot how arrogant these Cubs fans are, though. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the worst fan bases in the country. They got the arrogance of Yankee fan with none of the winning. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, I, you know, I, I laugh at the people who are rooting for the Cubs because they feel bad for their fan base and shit. And I'm like, yeah, as they wear their Blackhawks jacket and Air Jordans to school. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't tell me about a fan base <laughs> like that being uh, <laughs> starved for a championship. Fuck that. <laughs> Is that Fred Bush? Okay. Uh, so we're going to do Browns NFL, Ohio State, 10th unit report, blackout, and then we'll to the uh, college football picks and then do the uh, general conversation and then doing the book with you and John. Okay. Yeah, we, I'm I'm good. We can talk for a while, whatever you want. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, like that stuff I gave you in the book, I'm just trying to give you a guideline. You can say it if you want to say it. But you know what I mean? No, like, yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. of set the table, you know, for the show. And, yeah. That's great. That's perfect. I added a couple games. You know, I put the Penn State or the Penn hey, State man, game. Hey, I know you You don't go long. I I'm, I'm put these time limits up for this guy. So, yeah. You know right. I mean? like, <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I'm concise and to the point. <laughs> I added, uh, I think, I added Florida and LSU. See, were, were they uh, suspended their quarterback for the rest of the season? Yeah. Florida? What did he do? I didn't hear. Over-the-counter. Uh, well, he, he tested positive for PEDs. He said uh, over-the-counter supplement um, that he didn't realize had a banned substance in it. And that, of course, 
but he did it without <laughs> the consultation of the uh, – well, the guy doesn't look like he's on roids. I mean, he has been playing out of his mind, but I mean, I, I, I feel yeah. bad for that program because there's been one thing after another down there. Um, and they're playing well, man. They were playing real well. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, wonder if you know anything about this week. Yeah. That's against LSU. It's just weird. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. Now, do you know anything about this Trayon Harris guy? Yeah, he's last year. He's five That's what I thought. harder for them, but, yeah, I mean, the defense were winning those games. Right. Well, at least he's got a little experience, but still, he got beat out, so what's that telling you? Well, I mean, it all made sense. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, he was pretty highly... Admit, but the, the, see, the thing is, it's not like they got protection problems or anything like that. The guy was spreading the ball around, so the guy should be able to throw on LSU. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. LSU does have a good front four or whatever. I mean, front seven, but it ain't like, you know, if you can give him some time. This guy went and Newton's at the debate. Jesus Christ, this guy's had the same face for the last 30 years. Um, you know, if you give this guy time, he should be able to spread the ball around a little bit. And the real key is, can they run, which they should be able to. They've been running on everybody else with uh, Fred Taylor's son. Mm-hmm. So they can do that. The defense can, you know, try to kind of, uh, you know, collar for net. You know, LSU ain't got no offense besides that. So that's the real thing. Ah, uh, we in the lineup today. All right. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. NFL week six. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown, the Seabus, stuck in the National Football League. And on week six of this podcast, we're going to, of course, rehash the big win by the Cleveland Browns and the wonder kid, Josh McCown, who's turning back the clock. Uh, we then will go to Fantasy Gold and Fantasy Cold and then pick all of the week six games for you. Both teams in Ohio, actually, and we can start actually with the team down south first. The Bengals, an amazing win over the Seahawks. This Andy Dalton guy has really turned the corner. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know why, but the guy's putting it together right now. Yeah, I mean, to to come back from 17 points down in the, I think it was the fourth quarter, they were down 17, uh, if not the second half for sure, just against uh, the Legion of Boom and the uh, fabled uh, Seahawks defense. I mean, that's pretty impressive and, for me, legitimizes the Bengals at this point as a real contender for the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the only thing holding it back is, is my, and tempering my enthusiasm for Andy Dalton right now is his track record. <laughs> so uh, until he wins a playoff game, until he wins some December games uh, in big spots, you just can't 100% buy into the Bengals and what they're doing. I, I said from the very beginning, I thought they had the best top-to-bottom roster in the AFC uh, Central or North, or whatever the heck it's called now. But, you know, and they've got some room to improve. I mean, Jeremy Hill's played terrible so far this year. Uh, that defense has some room to improve. But they're 5-0. and So, uh, yes, be very excited if you're a Bengals fan 
but Andy Dalton still has to show me. Absolutely, but, I mean, the, the thing that everybody's been running around today talking about, Andy Dalton is a leader for fantasy points in all of the National Football League. So uh, <laughs> yeah, the guy's got a roll, man. The Red Rifle, you know, is kicking them people. I mean, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Josh McCown's probably second over the last three weeks behind Andy Dalton. I mean, he's got to have more yards. I mean, two back-to-back close to 300 yards game, 457. Last, uh, against the Ravens and a thrilling victory. And, I mean, we've been waiting to beat the Ravens like this a long time. And I don't care if we're kicking them while they're down because, Lord knows, they didn't kick the Browns while they're down for many, many years. You know, it, it was a great win. It, it felt great. You know, you're sitting there in that last drive for the Ravens. And, you know, I tweeted out my BTSD, Browns uh, Traumatic Stress Syndrome just sitting there shaking like a leaf, waiting for Joe Flacco to score the touchdown. Then they kick the field goal, and I'm shaking like a leaf, waiting for him to win it in overtime. And finally, the Browns get over the hump with the Baltimore Ravens. And you know what? It it made my day. I haven't been that excited for the Browns in a while, and uh, the fist pumping and the high fives were going around. But temper it a little bit. This team still has a ton of flaws. In, in, to overcome this season. No, they got a lot to overcome, but I'm going to roll and enjoy it. You know, I had picked against them last week, so I was wrong. Um, you need to pick really, against them every week. <laughs> well, I thought about that. Uh, they, they really showed something, though, because, you know, to come after the game they lost with the Chargers um, and then to be able to do the same thing, be in the same almost scenario, but the defense actually got a three and out. I know Justin Forsett went out with the injury, which helped a little bit because they didn't have that, you know, smaller running back. The Ravens didn't, um, you know, and still going down the field. And I told you, we, we mentioned him last week on the podcast. Travis Coons has been a welcome surprise. And, I mean, you can't do nothing but, you know, pat Mr. Perfect on the back until he misses one. Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for a consistent kicker since Bill Dawson left. And, uh, Travis Coons seems to be that guy right now for the Browns. Now let's see how it goes when the weather starts turning a little bit bad. Uh, can you kick outside in Cleveland and in Pittsburgh and in Cincinnati? The, those will be big tests for them. But, uh, I, you know, I, I've been impressed with it. He can't be anything but impressed with Coons right now. I mean, he ain't bouncing them in off the field goal post like Mike Nugent. This guy's kicking up to the uprights. You know, so uh, you got to really love that. Uh, I'll say this, too. Danny Shelton made a couple plays. This defense clearly lacks a lot. I don't know how they find the answers, but the best thing going for them is the upcoming matchup with the Denver Broncos and a struggling Peyton Manning. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that uh, you might want Josh McCown on your fantasy team before Peyton Manning this week? Uh, That offense is about as bad as it is in, in the National Football League right now. They're, they're getting nothing from their running backs. Uh, Peyton Manning is throwing interceptions that he never used to throw, and people are just sitting back in zone and jumping routes and waiting for him to, to make that, that out throw that he can't make anymore. Well, the, the problem is they do have the number one defense, but thank goodness Josh McCown, I mean, he's resting that ankle. He got a little banged up there at the end of the game, but, um, you know, uh, uh, football Russo on uh, on uh, ESPN, uh, the Billy Big Show tells the story of last year. Josh McCown played with a dislocated finger, 
So, um, you know, he didn't miss he, – he missed two games last year, but it was another injury. It wasn't his located finger. So this 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 guy's a pretty tough dude. He's probably going to be out there. I feel good going into this week against different Broncos. We know who's on that defense, former Cleveland Brown, T.J. Ward, former Ohio State Buckeye, Bradley Roby, Von Miller, you know, DeMarcus Ware. I mean, it's it's ferocious. There's no doubt about it. But they can be they can be the ball can be moved on them. We've seen it in the other games with some teams with some I mean, they haven't been rolling like the Browns offense and you know, you look at big play Gary Barnage and Johnson, I mean, they're gonna be trying to spread the field. Big play Gary Barnage now unless they're gonna double cover him, is gonna find a way to catch the ball, whether it's, you know, him doing a kickball change, bringing it between his legs. So I, I really I'm gonna say this. I like the Browns chances at home with the different Broncos coming in and as always there's the revenge factor that a lot of the Browns fans from the old guard still have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to horse face and that team from the Mile High City. Yeah, we owe them one for the rest of our lives, no matter how many times we pick them off. Um, you know, you mentioned McCown, but I think who might be getting lost in this shuffle a little bit is John DeFilippo. Uh, Flip has called some really, really good games you know, this team was supposed to be a run past very 50-50 balanced team. Well, we're taking what the defense has given us right now. We're setting up the run by passing, uh, putting McCown in good situations. Uh, the the underneath routes are working real well. They, there's just It just seems like he has, for a first-year offensive coordinator calling the plays, he has a real good feel for the game of football. Uh, while I'm talking about coaches, though, let me flip the switch and talk a little bit about Jim O'Neill. You've got the most overpriced defense in the NFL, and a guy that just week after week can't figure out a way to get his guys to make big stops in big, in big moments. Now, I know that they were able to hold the Ravens to a field goal there at the end and get the stop in overtime, but two out of uh, 55 drives or 60 drives, whatever it's been this year, that doesn't make us make for a good. Uh, that doesn't make for someone who's got a good feel for the game and, and what they're trying to accomplish on defense. Uh, and, and Mike Pedden, you know, the guy's supposed to be a defensive guru, and this defense has so much room for improvement. It's not even funny. And then also at the end of that fourth quarter, when the Ravens were driving we were sitting with a bunch of timeouts and we took two timeouts in the locker room. We saw on the last drive, uh, the, the throw to Travis Benjamin that got you into field goal range while the clock ran out would have been awfully nice to have about 10 or 15 more seconds there. And you would have wanted regulation. So, well, we would have had it if Josh McCown would have threw the ball away. So, you know, that, 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 that was two plays before where we lost, you know, seconds cause this guy wants to scramble thinking he's Johnny Manziel and, you know, go out of bounds, that was seven seconds. All he had to do, he was outside the tackle box. He would have saved five seconds at the end of that game. But, you know, I'm not going to nitpick. The guy won the game. Browns won. You know, if I was I was not happy in that moment. So I was MFing, you know, this guy. Yeah, uh, right. And, and, and he, like, just in my head, he's like, you saved five seconds at the end of that game by throwing the ball. It, or, yeah, that's one way. Or you use your timeouts and you, you manage the game like you should as an NFL head coach. And you don't take two timeouts into overtime with you that you can't use, you know. So there, there's still a lot to go with the Browns. But for this moment, I'm not going to rail too hard against the Browns. Uh, they found a way to win on the road in division in a hostile place that they've had zero success over the last 
since 99. So hats off to Mike Patton and that staff. That was a much-needed win, and let's hope that uh, that the momentum can carry on and, and you get, get it rolling and maybe win a couple of these really tough games here. Well, I think you just take it week by week. I mean, we're in a situation where you talked about Jim O'Neill and the defense. Okay, this is the week that the defense should shine. I mean, we don't have Joe Hayden. He's in a concussion protocol. We hope he gets better soon. But Batamosi, Desir, uh, Kwan Williams is actually back. So you put Desir and Kwan Williams, you got Batamosi coming in into the slot position. Uh, there don't might forget even about be, Justin Gilbert. Eh, come on now. But I, 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 say that, I say that to say this, that secondary should be featured. We know they're going to try to throw the ball since they can't run. Now, maybe they break out some runs on us with Ronnie Hillman and C.J. Anderson, but they haven't been able to run on anybody else. So I don't know why it would start with the Browns. Um, and the Browns did well besides the little short pass to Danny Woodhead. Melvin Gordon really didn't get loose on us. So the Browns, you know, for what it was, I mean, Justin Forsett was going crazy. But, you know, they don't have a capable running back right now at Denver. So you don't have to, you know, try to stack the box. You can actually play a pretty nice, you know, whether it's, like you said, the zone defense or something like that. Here's the point. Here's the real line in the sand. If Jim O'Neill can't figure out this defense with a struggling Peyton Manning, then we got some real problems, you know, going into the next week's coming up with some more prolific offense. Yeah, I agree. And the guy who really stood out on the defense, a little pat on the back to someone defensively, would be Nate Orchard, the rookie. Uh, they got to find a way to get him in more plays. A big key to beating Denver is going to be getting pressure on Payne Manning and making him throw a little earlier than he wants to throw. Uh, I, I watched a lot of that Denver game last week. He's as vulnerable as he's ever been in the pocket. Uh, just can't move at all. So if you can pressure him, not necessarily sack him, but just get him get the ball out of his hand that split second early, that's when he's been making his mistakes. And I think Nate Orchard right now is the, the one guy who's, who's really shown me something as far as uh, a motor. Oh, yeah, and Amari Bryant, you know, had a big play. Where is Paul Kruger? Would that guy maybe stop swimming through his money like Scrooge McDuck and actually show up and make a play? That'd be nice if we got that Sunday at First Energy State. Yeah, and the other part of that I don't understand is how O'Neal's using him in the scheme. I mean, the guy's never been much of a – uh, a defender as far as against the pass. And it seems like he's out there guarding tight ends and running backs out of the backfield and getting burned every week. Which you would think Mingo would be the guy with his speed, even though he doesn't have the technique or maybe the, the hips to, to do it. Um, but you would rather put the uh, speedier, you know, slighter guy or even Nate Orchard out there. Uh, I don't. I, Jim O'Neill needs to figure this out. I don't get paid to do this. You know, like, I can figure it out if I took some time. But, you know, I mean, that's Jim O'Neill's job, and he might not have it for long the way this is going. Uh, Kiki made a nice play there uh, on the goal line. He uh, jumped real high and was able to bat down a ball that would have been a touchdown. So I'll leave him for making one play. play this year. Yeah, it was that play out into the flat. He did make that play. It was a nice play. It was a nice play. All that athleticism from the first round. Finally, balled up after all these games of running past people. Actually, he made one play. So, God bless him. Um, I look at this Denver Broncos matchup. They have the number one defense in the league, yada, yada, yada. But the offense is struggling. I mean, I want to, I, I, I think the Browns, I, mean, I should pick against them. But I want to roll with you this guy, to. man. You I want to roll with this guy. Oh. <laughs> 
I think the Browns keep the, the, the scoring going and light up first energy to give the home fans something to be proud of. This reminds me of some of these other games that we had where we think the Browns should lose. Um, yeah, just one circled as a loss, you know, looking at the schedule at the beginning of the year. But I think the Browns are impossible when they, uh, they beat the Broncos. I'm like the Brownies, 27-17. Um, you know, Denver's defense is, is the real deal, in my opinion. And it, the offensive line of both of these teams is going to be the key to this game. Uh, if they could protect Payne Manning and he can sit back there and carve you up, it's going to be a long day. If you can get a little pressure on him, then you've got a chance. Uh, on the flip side of that, you can't. Josh McCown can't be running for his life the entire game. Uh, I, I think that both O lines probably hold up a little bit better, and I think it's a little bit higher scoring game. Um, I'm, I'm going to say uh, Browns 28 and uh, 24 for the Broncos. 28-24 final Browns. All right, let's get into a little fantasy goal. Not a lot this week to give you. I mean, it, it's, it's getting thin out there, ladies and gentlemen. But got a couple. <laughs> real uh, thin. With, with Jamal Charles' ACL going down, you want to look at Niall Davis or Trigandrick West. Everybody's saying West is the way to go. I am actually the opposite, just like I was last week about Jay Cutler. I actually think Niall Davis is the way to go just because he's the more experienced running back, and they will be bringing West along. So West might be a pickup for next week, but not this week's fantasy goal. Um, yeah, you know, Niall Davis hasn't had a lot of touches, but, I mean, who else is going to get the ball there now with uh, Jamal Charles being injured once again? Uh, one of the pickups, I actually did this for myself uh, <laughs> two weeks ago, but you want to pick up Willie Sneed down in New Orleans. Uh, Marcus Colston has been uh, invisible down there. So Sneed has had, like, 33 targets, 22 catches, and 381 yards. He's only had one touchdown, but I think he'll start to get more as the season goes on down there because he's the one guy catching the ball in New Orleans. Uh, it comes back for tight end to Cleveland, Ohio. They play Gary Barnage. If you haven't had him, I don't know what you've been doing. Go get the guy. He's still available. Uh, all he's had is, you know, 100-plus yards and a couple TDs in the last three weeks. So if you're not starting big play Gary Barnage, I don't know why not. Uh, I gave Ted Ginn last week. Ted Ginn was actually on a bye, so Ted Ginn is still good out there for this week. And I would say if you could, Get the Patriots defense, so or anybody playing the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> That's the fantasy goal. And then I'll flip the script and uh, hit some fantasy cold. Uh, you probably want to put Mike Evans on your bench until he has a game. Uh, zero touchdowns this year. His last two weeks, he's had 32 yards receiving and 41 yards receiving. He's not doing much, much uh, good in your lineup. If you have a better option, uh, do it. He's fantasy cold. Also, we talked a little bit about the Broncos running back situation. C.J. Anderson's about as cold as they get. 2.6 yards per carry this year, zero touchdowns. His, his high this year is 43 yards, and he only has nine catches in five games. C.J. Anderson, I, I don't know what's going on. I know he's losing some, some carries to Ronnie Hillman now. It's only going to continue. C.J. Anderson, fantasy cold, put him on your bench. Another running back that's fantasy cold is Alfred Morris. Zero touchdowns this year, just four catches on the entire season, not helping in a PPR league. And since week one, he's gone for 59 yards, 19 yards, 62 yards, and 15 yards in those four weeks. As, and like I said, he's not catching the ball either. Alfred Morris is doing you no good in your lineup. Get him on your bench. And then one more guy that you can't put on your bench, but it just goes to show how much a quarterback means in this league. 
to to a receiver, and that's Antonio Brown. Uh, we, the last two weeks without Ben Roethlisberger, five catches, 42 yards, no touchdowns, three catches uh, on Monday Night Football uh, for a whopping 45 yards, no touchdowns. Until Ben Roethlisberger gets back, I mean, I know it's going to be tough to ever take him out of your lineup just for the potential he could have, but you're getting killed right now with Antonio Brown. Maybe you, you look to move him at some point and get some – Hey, you can't get much value for him right now, but I'll just say the obvious. Antonio Brown right now, fantasy poll. Josh McCown is a no-brainer at quarterback for fantasy cold right now, for fantasy gold right now. If you if you need a QB, Tyrod Taylor went down. A lot of guys out there moving around. I'd say, why not ride the Josh McCown train? But do, uh, it, very, the- do it very wearingly. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll throw one more in there for for the fantasy goal this week. Uh, you have Julio Jones going out right now. If you need a receiver for one week, go try to find uh, Leonard Hankerson, or maybe even this is the week that Roddy White can get you more than two points. Uh, they're going to have to throw the ball to someone, and on Thursday night it's a good game to get ahead of uh, your opponent. And, you know, with Julio Jones being out this week, Pick one of those two and uh, give them a ride if you need a receiver. All right. NFL, week six, Thursday night football. The Atlanta Falcons still marching in to the Superdome to take on the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, and without Julio Jones, it's going to be a little bit bigger of a struggle for Atlanta. But the way Devontae Freeman's playing right now, you got Brandon Coleman back too last week if you're the Falcons. So uh, they've got, they still have some weapons. I just, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than most people think. And New Orleans just doesn't have that offensive capability anymore. But they are at home in the dome. Uh, I, I'm still going to take Atlanta here, but I think it could be closer than a lot of people think. Yeah, I like that. The real key to what everything that's happening for Atlanta, a lot of people understand, is the offensive line play. They got the young Matthews down there, the Texas A&M Aggie product, and uh, Jokel, I mean, two Aggies on that line. That's the real key why the Falcons have found so much success, uh, so much success and started out 5-0. and So I like the Falcons to keep going in this big divisional matchup, but it is a short week, and like you said, without the number one target, it might be tighter than it needs to be, but I think the Dirty Birds keep on dancing. The other thing I like about Atlanta is just how their defense is making plays. They're not great, uh, you know, as far as average yards per game and stuff like that, but they're getting big-time sacks and big-time turnovers at big spots. The Cincinnati Bengals, Day Nation, goes up north to take on the Buffalo Bills. Well, I mean, there's no reason to think that Cincinnati won't keep rolling here, especially now that Tyrod Taylor's out. E.J. Manuel's going to step in, and I know that he's got some experience here, but he doesn't have a lot of work with the ones this year. So uh, that might take a little bit of adjustment time. They're down two running backs. Uh, Williams may come back this week. He's in the concussion protocol. But uh, I just don't see them having I, – I know they've been an explosive offense so far this year somehow. But uh, I, I just don't see them being able to stay with the Bengals in this one. I like Cincy. Yeah, and I think they're going to have to find their offensive game plan uh, around E.J. Manuel, and that's not going to happen this week. And Sammy Watkins is still uh, probable. Didn't play last week, so that didn't help either. So all you got is Hogan and uh, Woods, who's dropping balls out there. 
I like the Bengals to keep on rolling. I mean, who they nation. This is a magical run. Enjoy it. Jay Cutler and the Chicago Bears. Go visit the one team who might have the worst quarterback in their own division, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, amazing that Cutler was able to bring the Bears back and actually win in Arrowhead last week. Uh, I know Jamal Charles went out, but still, that's a tough task especially how badly Kansas City needed that game. Uh, so a little bit impressed with the Bears and what they've been able to do the last couple of weeks. They may be finding it a little bit. I actually think that Jim Caldwell did match Stafford a huge favor by benching him last week. It maybe was a little bit of a reality check for him. And this is a big week now in division, in a rivalry game at home. Uh, I, I think it may have lit a spark and woken uh, Jay Cutler, not Jay Cutler, um, Matthew Stafford up a little bit. Calvin Johnson's due for a huge game, and the Bears secondary would be uh, an ideal spot for it. I'm going to take the Lions to get off the snide and beat the Bears. It all depends if Alshon Jeffrey or Eddie Royal come back. With one of them out there, at least gives Cutler another viable target. Um, he just doesn't have the folks to throw to, but he's found a way to win, like you said, last week. Uh, but the guy is not worth starting fantasy-wise as an alternative. I don't – once again, I'm just saying unequivocally, I heard it everywhere, the ESPN, Matthew Berry podcast, uh, her fantasy football, Sirius XM, on, on NBC's fantasy football show. You know, everybody was saying it on Yahoo Sports fantasy football. I don't understand how people can be giving out that bad of information. The guy literally barely got the two touchdowns that he got last week and only 200 yards. So, uh you know, if you need 14 points, 15 points, hey, go get it with Jay Cutler. I actually agree with you. I think the Lions get off the schneid somehow, some way. I mean, they're just due for a win, and it's no easier team than the Bears. Talking about quarterback problems, the Houston Texans go in to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, um, you know, it looks like they're going to go with Brian Hoyer now at, at quarterback for Houston, and it's been just back and forth between two bad uh, options. Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles is uh, questionable in this game with a shoulder, so a lot of this is going to have to come down to whether or not he can play. Um, Jacksonville has been playing a little bit better, but I, I just I have a feeling that Houston's going to go down there and win this game. and. Mr. Hero himself, Brian Hoyer, is going to walk out, walk out with a win. Well, you know, the real, the real issue for the Houston Texans has been where has been the phenomenal play of J.J. Watt, and even Clowney's been healthy, but these guys ain't getting sacks. So, I mean, where's that defense for the Texans? If they show up, then they should win easily. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars have found a way to win or at least found a way to play other teams' stuff, but without Blake Bortles, yeah, I don't think that offense has a chance. I don't even know who the backup of Jacksonville is. I was just going to ask you that. I was—I have no clue who their backup is. Hold on, I'm, I got to find that out real quick. But uh, you know, the the Jaguars, the Jaguars' receiving core has been very capable. Bortles has been spreading the ball around. They've actually been moving the ball up and down the field. It just hasn't. They haven't got the points that they needed in the red zone, and that's what they need to start working on their red zone efficiency. Efficiency. I like the I like the Jags to keep on rolling. I can't go with Mr. Hero and the Houston Texans. 
2015. Jesus Christ. Is it Matt Morris? I'm not sure. I'm, my computer's running fucking slow now, of course, when I want it. Jesus. Of course, that's it. All right. Let's keep on rolling. Um, All right. So, oh, the chefs got another big matchup with the trouble over Bridgewater, the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, Kansas City has got to be pretty demoralized at this point. Uh, Alex Smith has played terrible all year. Uh, Bridgewater hasn't played that much better, but Adrian Peterson's the difference in this one. Uh, I'll take the Vikings at home to beat the Chiefs. Totally agree. Vikings, big. The Miami Dolphins go in to Cashville, and will they be doing Oklahoma drills in Tennessee as they take on the Titans? Well, I, I think the, the the change at the coaching position will breathe a little life into the Dolphins, at least for this week. It's a good matchup uh, against Tennessee, who's you know up and down. They're not they're not a good team. They're not a bad team. They're just kind of that. Um, I, 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 I think Miami gets the win here in Tennessee and uh, carries Matt Campbell off on their shoulders or something like that. I'm going with the quarterback that actually, even though he's still a rookie, looks like he's got a better command of the offense than Ryan Tannehill down there with the Dolphins. I think the Tennessee Titans find a way to upset these guys and uh, get a win at home, and the flying Hawaiian gets carried off on the shoulders of his Titans faithful. The Washington Redskins take on the New York Jets. Fireman Ed, shorts his pants. Chad Henney's the backup, by the way, to Bortles. <laughs> uh, who were we talking? Oh, Washington and the Jets. Yeah, interesting, huh? Uh, when I look at this game, the Jets off the bye. You know, I, I think that's the way to go. Washington's defense has played better this year, but uh, I, I just like the Jets with the extra time at home. Uh, they should be able to handle the Redskins. Well, the same old problem reared us of the head for Kirk Cousins and the Washington Redskins. This guy can't stop throwing interceptions. Um, I agree with you. And without any running game, you talked about it in fantasy cold. The Redskins just don't have the offensive options. They found a way. They, I give them credit. They've played tough in the games that they've been in. I think this will be another tough one, but the New York Jets are one of the toughest teams in the league. And coming off of a bye, as you said, I like the Jets as well. The Arizona Cardinals go in to play catch-up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here on mute. Hello, are you with me? Can't hear you. No, no, you're not. Welcome back. 
Welcome back. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> All right. The Arizona Cardinals go in to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Pittsburgh off a short week. Arizona may have found something last week with Andre Ellington uh, late in that game. I actually like their the combination now of Chris Johnson and Andre Ellington. And Carson Palmer's playing as good as he's played pretty much his whole career. So uh, Larry Fitzgerald just seems to have found the found of youth. I just don't trust the Steelers with Michael Vick. I don't know how San Diego let them win that game. Uh, and Arizona's not going to make the same mistake, Cards. Well, we know Carson Palmer doesn't like the Pittsburgh Steelers, so I agree. I will take the Cardinals as well to beat the Squealers. The Carolina Panthers, the surprise team of the NFC, take on the Seattle Seahawks and Seattle. Yeah, Cam Newton's got a big problem. He got an angry Seattle team now. <laughs> They're coming back from Cincinnati, and Carolina has to go all the way to uh, the 12th man. So uh, I just can't see any way a limited, uh, I guess, limited weapons of the Carolina Panthers can go in there and do anything against uh, the Legion of Boom. I'll take the Seattle Seahawks. Interesting stat real quick. Uh, I heard this on uh, Colin Cowherd has a stat. Dating back to NC State, okay, so NC State, Wisconsin, and the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson has held a lead in every game in the last 88 games he's played. Hmm. Well, hopefully he can hold the lead this week, but I think – the Seahawks win as well. Uh, it's just a tough spot for the Panthers on the road going up there. And um, I actually like Carolina a lot. It, it also depends, you know, the the best thing is if the offense can get rolling for Seattle, they will get Marshawn Lynch back this week. And I think that makes a big help for uh, their offensive woes. Cool. And the PU game of the week, Baltimore Ravens go in the Levi Stadium to take on the San Francisco 49 Boy, two game, two teams here that just really don't have anything going for them all. Baltimore's lost every game late and have found creative ways to do it. Uh, I think this is the week they actually find a way to finish one. San Francisco's just a bad team, and Colin Kaepernick's the worst quarterback in the NFL. So uh, I'll, I'll take uh, the better head coach and the better quarterback. Give me Baltimore. Can't argue with any of that. Agree, Ravens over 49ers. The San Diego Chargers stay on the road and take it on in the cheese town. They take on the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, you blow blow the win on Monday Night Football, and now you got to go to Green Bay uh, on a short week to face Aaron Rodgers, who finally threw an interception at home. Uh, I don't look for anything like that this week. Uh, Rodgers will be ready to go, and Green Bay will roll up the Chargers, although I think it will be a pretty high-scoring game. Phillip Rivers is playing some really good football right now. I agree it would be high-scoring, and for the Chargers, they got Jason Verrett, who was making some plays. Uh, he was all over Antonio Brown out there, so he will be all over James Jones, but uh, Aaron Rodgers still has a lot of people to throw to out there, so like the pack as well. And I think this Ooh. is the week that Eddie, Eddie Lacy gets going a little bit. He's been terrible all year. Uh, he's due. 
the New England Patriots will probably be out of the game early, taking on the Indianapolis Colts, and you can find them having stakes and shrimp at St. Elmo's. Well, we're going to have to make sure all the footballs are deflated to the proper level, and uh, we'll have to rehash this again for the next week when we're talking about this game. But uh, angry Tom Brady, angry Bill Belichick, and a little bit of revenge in mind. Even though they won the game, there's still revenge uh, factor because of the way the Colts uh, tattletailed on the Patriots. Andrew Luck this year has been banged up. He's not been very good at all. New England is not a recipe to get better. Uh, You couldn't make this line high enough for me to take the the Colts. Patriots are going to roll them up. Patriots definitely going to roll them up. They're just getting everybody's uh, worst uh, with these quarterback injuries. Guy wasn't injured before he was stinking it up. So, uh, you know. He's been injured all year. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> Guys, man, he, was, he, was he injured last year when he was thinking it up? Or last right now? Uh, he was playing MVP football last year. Okay. Uh, was that in the AFC championship game? I missed that performance. That's one game against the Patriots, when they were uh, using deflated balls. He was thinking it up all this year. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Now, this is a great game. Monday Night Football should be a good one. The New York Giants go in to take on the Philadelphia Eagles division match. Well, the Eagles may have found something at this point. Uh, they quietly figured out the offense a little bit, putting up some points, and the defense hasn't been playing as bad. Uh, I think at home uh, they're able to take care of the Giants, even though the Giants have been playing okay as well. Uh, really interesting NFC East battle. should be a great game, but I'll take the Eagles to keep rolling. Wow. I like Eli and the Giants. I like the way that the defense has been playing. You never know what you're going to get with the Eagles right now. And Chip Kelly could be out in South Central L.A. meeting with a certain school as things are going right now. So he might be a little distracted. I'll take the G-Man on Monday Night Football. Enjoy your weekend of football. As always, go Browns. Dog family bark forever. Eagles. They're figuring something out. Marco Murray did run better. I started them this week. Yeah, they're they're quietly. That was that was, that was on a that was on a that was on a, a wing and a prayer. I started that clown because I was like, man, <laughs> picking it up. <laughs> Jordan Matthews has been stinking it up. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. The tenth unit report. The Ohio State Buckeyes are six and zero. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see bus. We're talking Buckeyes. Turn out the lights. It's a blackout Saturday night for the Ohio State University. The Buckeyes, black jerseys in the shoe, eight o'clock versus PWU. Versus Pedo State. Oh, it doesn't look much better than this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Fifth unit report will rehash what happened in College Park as we see Randy Etzel drop the mic and run out the door as the Buckeyes beat Maryland. Um, we will then, of course, look ahead to the big matchup with James Franklin.
and the boys that will be wearing white. Uh, Jake, let's get to this first. How do you feel about the black uniforms the Buckeyes will be wearing Saturday night? I hate them, honestly. I mean, I, I'm to not mince words. Uh, I, I think there's something special about Ohio State and their tradition. Uh, we're not Oregon. And I, I looked at some other black uniforms. They look like Nebraska's Adidas uniforms, uh, only they're a little better because they're Nike. Uh, there's something about the silver bullets and those helmets. I I just don't like it. I'm I'm fine with a blackout and and tweaking the uniform once a year, but you need to stay true to your colors. In nowhere ever does it say black is in our colors. And I don't know why we're getting that. We have the black bar on the the jersey that goes around the uh, shoulder. Um, It's a little special to me. Back in the 2001 National Championship season, uh, the beginning of that year I was on campus and I was going to the varsity club and I needed a T-shirt to wear that morning because I had had a hell of a Friday night. So I figured I'd just buy one on the way to the varsity club. It was a brisk day. Um, I bought a black T-shirt that had the Ohio State logo on it. And ever since then it's been one of my favorite T-shirts. And wore it almost every day, every game day that year, and we all know how that one worked out. So this is something for me that's real special. It's been a long time coming. I am overjoyed with the choice of wearing the black jerseys. I love the blackout. I love the energy that it's going to bring in that stadium. Um, and, you know, it's been a long time for me. I think this Penn State program should have had a funeral a long time ago and I should even be playing football. So I think it's appropriate on so many levels. Well, when you put it that way, maybe black is appropriate for what we're going to do to Penn State. Um, when we're to look at this game itself, uh, I just I think the offense found some stuff, found out what they are, and a way to get some scores in the red zone. And now it's going to be even harder to game plan for Ohio State, and this Penn State team may be in for a long day. Uh, uh, what I think is going to happen happens. Yeah, I, and we you look at that Maryland game. We got a two back a quarterback system going now. JT Barrett comes in in the red zone, um, and Cardell can still get the long passes, you know, and try to stretch the field a little bit with that. We saw that, and Braxton Miller uh, emerged again as a playmaker. So we we're getting a little bit of everything. The offense is not hitting at all cylinders, and. Uh, I think Phillip Hills is still running through the Silver Bullets defense. But the Buckeyes found a way to win, and that's what's important. They're 6-0. Um, I am very excited about one thing on defense. So, and you see their emergence of some of the other guys. As it was Tommy Shutt making that big play. Uh, and a couple guys did actually tackle Phillip Hills. I know it didn't seem like it happened, but uh, Taekwon Lewis and also Jalen Holmes, some guys that are emerging that are not the household names for Buckeye Nation. Yeah, and Sam Hubbard continues to impress. Uh, a guy converted from safety in high school to D lineman showed off his safety ball, ball hawking skills when he picked off Hill this week. Um, just really impressed with him and can't wait to see him and the young Bosa uh, for the next couple of years at the Ohio State. Well, here, here's the real key that the best thing for Ohio State, we're not going to see a running quarterback here for a while. Christian Hackenberg doesn't move like Diamant or uh, – uh, I'm trying to think of the other kid that I heard for Indiana, nevertheless – or Hills with Maryland. So it's a little bit more of a familiar scheme. And one thing for uh, Penn State, though, they have been getting the ball moving after a couple of weeks of woe. 
Uh, Christian Hackenberg had a huge uh, throw to Chris Goodwin last week. They ended up winning over Indiana 21-7. to I think the Buckeyes it took a little bit of the physicality that they uh, had left from the Hoosiers. But uh, you saw Kyle Carter and Geno Lewis also get a couple receptions out there. I think the real key is going to be for the Buckeyes. It's going to be a great test for everything down the road and some of the other teams that will face is stopping the run and Brandon Polk with the Nittany Lions running attack. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's a great point. Hackenberg runs like Peyton Manning runs, so uh, that's not going to be an issue, and they're going to be able to pin their ears back and go after them, um, and that'll take care of a lot of the flaws in that defense. The defense actually played pretty well, except for that up-the-middle run by the quarterback every third play. Uh, that needs to be taken care of, but I have no doubt that Urban has addressed it, and it will be taken care of. The, the defense struggled a little bit against Maryland, but they're the they're the rock and they're going to be fine. I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, the offense is what I'm excited about, and the fact that they've been able to maybe figure something out in a way to use JT Barrett and Cardale. As long as it's keeping both guys happy and we're being productive, I'm fine with it. I'm not a huge fan of a two quarterback system or even a three quarterback system if you throw Braxton in there. But Urban has had some success doing this. When you look back to Florida and Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Uh, almost a little reversal between Cardell and uh, JT uh, if you flip the script with Leak and, and Tebow. But whatever works, I'm all for. Yeah, I mean, the best thing is, and I can say this, you know, feeling very confident in saying it. I can feel very confident in saying this. At times they look a little, they, you see a little motion, you know, a little frustration and whatnot. But thank goodness that these two guys are friends and not, you know, this hasn't turned into a situation like the program. You know, so, I mean, like, these two guys are finding a way to get along. Everybody's rooting for each other. Everybody just wants to see everybody do well, and that's a great a great situation to have for the mentality of your football team. Uh, one other thing that it comes up with Penn State, it was last year that the Buckeyes were truly challenged in Unhappy Valley, and we saw them rise to the occasion. JT Barrett, kind of, that was one of his first injuries. Um, he was able to come back from it, but you saw them come together as a full football team, and I think that's going to be another key for this week. And it's not so much of us not wearing the same uniforms that we usually wear. I just think there's an excitement about everything going on with this whole blackout situation, and it's going to give us the energy so we don't come out. Because most of these games that the Buckeyes have had, besides Virginia Tech, they've come out and had the worst slow starts, barely scoring in the first quarter of games or whatnot. I think the energy level with everything going on around this should give the Buckeyes a little bit of a uh, get them out of the, the chamber of the gun a little faster this week. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the the whole atmosphere, the night game, uh, the, the dark night uh, concept that Ohio State's doing is going to provide a lot of uh, extra energy for this team. And I think also maybe Penn State's not the competition, but they've got the name recognition of the competition. So now we'll see if Ohio State kind of plays up to their opponent. It's, you know, it's tough getting up for uh, Maryland and Indiana, Western Michigan. Uh, they they had some struggles with Virginia Tech, but they ended up covering that game and winning 42-24. So they did their work on the road in Blacksburg in week one. So now you get Penn State in here, a rival, a big-time program, uh, and I expect that to even add more juice to uh, to the Buckeyes this week. Well, another thing is we got all night games from here on out, so that's another uh, added thing. Except one, I think, afternoon scheduled game besides the last one, uh, and 
here's the other thing about playing at home at night. The Blue Hairs, you know, God love them. You know, the, the faithful that are out there at noon with the radios and whatnot that don't want you screaming, you know, at the games, they're not going to be in that stadium at nighttime. So we're going to get the real uh, movers and shakers, the people that are, you know, probably way past the legal limit in that stadium and giving hell to the Nittany Lions. Yeah, Ohio Stadium crowds, you know, as much as we love our Buckeyes and all that, I don't consider it to be one of the the great uh, intimidation factors in college football. But this Saturday, a night game in these circumstances, this will be as good of an atmosphere as you can get at Ohio Stadium, I think. A couple things. Nuremberger needs to make some more kicks, maybe all of them. Paris Campbell needs to work on catching the ball. I don't know what he's doing in practice. Um, And I saw something. And it's kind of, you know, one of the schools that does it better than anybody else, and it's just because I watched a lot of their games when uh, Derek, Dave, Derek Carr was there. It was Fresno State. But we started throwing a short passing game a little bit to Michael Thomas, and I think we need to do a little bit more of that. So hopefully maybe we're starting to see some of the wrinkles come out of the offense. They try to change it up a little bit. Um, and I think that was exciting to see against Maryland, and I think we'll see a lot more of that this week, this, uh, this, this night game coming up too, uh, the blackout game. Excited. I'm predicting, and I've done it every week, but I really feel strongly about it, and I'm putting it all on my black T-shirt because I've been waiting for this for a long time. I think the Buckeyes go big here, real big. I think we might see close to a shutout and a 40-plus point victory. I'm with you. I got a final score of 55 to 10. I think the offense has figured some things out, and I think it's going to be a long day for Hackenberg. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully we're coming back with another huge victory, and we'll keep on rolling. And you can get more of the analysis of the Big Ten because there are a lot more to say about what's going on in the Big Ten. And you know I got something to say about what's going on on our college football show. So, as always, go Bucks. Enjoy your Saturday night. And make sure you're wearing all black. O-H. I-O. All right. Let me get these games up here. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and J. College football, week seven. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. It's college football time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, lots and lots going on in the college football world. We'll talk about the coaching carousel going on. We know what happened out in Southern California but also what happened down in in South Carolina with the old ball coach and some other things going on, um, some of the pressing issues. We'll then get into some of our takeaways from the last couple of weeks since you heard us. And, of course, we will talk about – oh, we will give you our top four. Who's in after we've seen more football and have a better idea of the college football landscape? We will then play the prediction game and give you straight-up picks for – this week of college football action. Jake, let's get into it. Thursday night, huge matchup. The UCLA Bruins go out to Palo Alto to take on the nerds, the Stanford Cardinals. 
Uh, you know what? It, Stanford seems to be trending the right way, and UCLA seems to be trending the wrong way. Uh, I know UCLA bounced back, but uh, I, I think a Thursday night on the farm, everybody's fired up. Uh, Stanford gets this win. Yeah, you know, last year it was the same situation. UCLA, well, UCLA was a lot hotter, um, but they got rickrolled by the Cardinal 31-10. I think Josh Rosen has be, went from the chosen one to the frozen one. And we got Ben Hogan's heroes out there. One of the things we haven't talked about on here is, you know, we know we got Paul Perkins for UCLA, but how about Barry Sanders Jr. coming off the bench for the Stanford Cardinal? Yeah, you got a legacy guy there. Uh, obviously, maybe one of the, obviously one of the greatest running backs of all time. Not, there's no maybe about it. Um, you know, but he's not his dad, and he is a backup. But it's another option for Stanford and another, another weapon for Hogan. So uh, he's definitely a, a, a guy that you've got to keep an eye out for. We know his lineage is good. <laughs> his genes are good. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see anytime you get to see one of the guys that you grew up rooting for and rooting against sometimes as well. Uh, that's a Hall of Famer, and uh, his legacy is now carrying on in a as you get older. Well, you know, you made the point, and this has been the biggest problem UCLA's had is on their defense, which was very good at the beginning of the year, but just too many injuries. Uh, we know the Miles Jack situation, of course, Eddie Vanderdose was gone, uh, Fabian Monroe with the foot injury, and then they actually had switched the receiver, Mossy Johnson, over safety, and then he's hurt again. So they've just been decimated by injuries. I agree with you. I like the Stanford Cardinal uh, at home to win on Thursday night. But those Thursday nights can be tricky. So, yeah, but I, I think the Cardinal will find a way to win. We go to the Saturday game lineup. The game that might not be as big as it was, the Iowa Hawkeyes take on the Northwestern Wildcats. Boy, Northwestern looked really bad. Uh, that type of team, when you get down big early, it, it's over. And unfortunately for Iowa, I don't think they have that type of offense to get up big on Northwestern. I think Northwestern kind of bounces back here at home. Um, Iowa is feeling its oats right now is going to be tested for the first time. This is still a Northwestern team that beat Stanford and was undefeated going into the big house. They just uh, ran into a buzzsaw last Saturday. I think Iowa actually tastes its first defeat this week at the hands of Northwestern. I think it's going to be a close game, but if that's the case, I will go with Iowa. I, I, somehow they found a way to win it. And you know how I felt about Northwestern. After six games, they were going to lose their mojo. Well, they they ran out of juice one game early uh, last week. The real problem for Iowa, though, they lose their defensive lineman on that line. Uh, he had five sacks leading the Big Ten this year, so that's a huge thing. But they still got Jordan Kazari. So, uh, but the big thing for Northwestern is they're going to do it. They're going to do it for Pat Fitzgerald. And they'll be wearing the throwback Rose Bowl jersey celebrating the 20 years since the 1995 Rose Bowl. But I think the Hawkeyes find a way beyond Clark Ferentz and his terrible coaching. Quick update on the Northwestern coaching staff. They wore pants last week. So maybe they need to switch back to the shorts to get, to get this one. Woo. West Virginia goes in the Waco to take on the Baylor Bears. West Virginia just can't get out of their own way. Uh, every time 
they've got something going, a turnover thwarts it. Baylor's just got so much offense. I don't see any way that West Virginia is able to go to Baylor and pull off an upset here. I'll take the Bears. Yeah, I, I'm with the Bears as well. I mean, you, you look at that offense, Russell, Seth Russell and Shaq Linwood and Corey Coleman. I mean, they're averaging 725 yards offense, 64 points a game. Uh, but the real key is the defensive lineman, Sean Oakman, you know, one of the leaders in the Big 12 in sacks. West Virginia just got the worst schedule in the middle of the year, and we talked about it on our, our, our in, in our college preview show. We saw this coming, and the Mountaineers, like you said, they the real problem with them, they don't have the depth is when somebody goes down as well. So uh, they're going to get boat raced by Baylor. Oh, the Louisville Cardinals take on the Florida State Seminoles. You know, it seems like every year Louisville is the thorn in, in Florida State's side. Uh, always give them a game. But I just think that Florida State uh, has too much for them. Uh, their offense isn't as explosive as it once was, but they can still run the football and they can still play some defense. Uh, I, I don't see Louisville being able to pull off the upset here. I'll take the Seminoles. Dalvin Cook looked like he was running on water last week, literally because there was a little bit of water on the field. One of the most impressive rushing performances. The best thing about the other parts of that offense is that Everett Golson has had no interceptions this year. But I think that changed against the Louisville Cardinals. They got the best front seven in the ACC. They almost beat everybody, but Bobby Retrino is an idiot. I think this is the one that they can overcome it, and I think that front seven is going to bang Dalvin Cook up a little bit. Uh, this guy's got a lot of wear and tear on that leg, that hamstring. He, he went out the game, came back last week. I just think this is the one that snake bites the Seminoles, and it's a huge upset. I like the card. Oh, it's a big one in College Station. Alabama takes on Texas A&M. Alabama, away from Brian Denning, has not been that good. Uh, and A&M with a week off now to prepare for Alabama, I, I think they're going to pull the upset here and and beat Alabama. Um, Kevin Sumlin's a heck of a coach, and and I just I just see them having more weapons on offense and as good maybe slightly below Alabama's defense, but definitely a defense that can hang. And Coker just has been so inconsistent for Alabama. Uh, he's going to have to make some big-time throws in this one if Alabama's going to win, and I don't see it happening. I'm going to take uh, Texas A&M and the original 12th man. Well, the best thing is John Chavis knows Alabama in and out. Uh, it was funny last week to see Alabama running Ohio State plays with Kenya and Drake. They were running the jet sweep that we ran against them in the national championship. So thank you, Tom Herman. Um, here's the real thing. This is a game-changer for the Texas A&M program. They're at home. They lead the SEC in attendance since they joined here with over 103,000. Miles Jarrett is the key to getting getting pressure on Jacob Coker. If Kyle Allen plays beyond the potential that he has, if he just plays well and doesn't turn the ball over, I think that that defense gets to Jacob Coker and makes him uncomfortable. Like you said, the guy's a little inconsistent. If you get to him, he will make mistakes. But sometimes he has these games where he can play almost perfect like he did against Georgia. Everybody knows that Alabama put a 59-0 beatdown on the Aggies last year, and that's also got to be there. This is the game, I think, that defines Kevin Sumlin's career, not as so much as whether or not this guy stays on with Texas A&M, but whether or not that program takes the next step. 
I believe they do. I agree with you, and we see Alabama get their second loss. Big choke, Bob Stoops and the Oklahoma Sooners go in to Manhattan to take on the choking Wildcats. K-State, that choke like dogs as well. (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, we we saw what playing in Manhattan against Bill Snyder can do to uh, a favorite. And now Oklahoma has to come in there and try to do the same. I just think that Kansas State, it took so much out of them and the way they lost to TCU last week. Uh, is going to have a little bit of a carryover effect. Oklahoma, to me, is still the better team uh, despite how they looked last week. Uh, I think they bounce back and, and find a way to beat Kansas State, even on the road. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, it was it was heartbreak for uh, Hebner, you know, throwing that interception and the fumble after he had played so well, four rushing touchdowns, had K-State in a position to win that game. I'm going to tell you like this. I love Bill Schneider, but – I think it was a huge mistake not to go for it on that fourth and one and punt that ball to uh, punt the ball to TCU with three minutes to go, and we see how the, we see how that movie ended. Um, for the Sooners, there was one of the biggest choke jobs of all time, getting Rick rolled by a bad Longhorns team. I don't know what's going to happen in this game, but I agree with you. I think the Sooners find a way to run the ball on an emotionally spent uh, K State team. Oh. More trouble in Hollywood. The USC Trojans, with no coach, go on to South Bend to take on the Notre Dame fight match. Yeah, going to be a tough task this week for uh, USC. Um, you know, maybe missing their their head coach, and I, I I don't know. Sark seems like a guy that a lot of the players would play for and like, and are going to miss. Um, you know, I, I understand that all the all the issues with the alcoholism and that sort of thing, but it just feels like they just don't have any direction right now. They're kind of lost and uh, out there dangling in the wind by themselves. Meanwhile, Notre Dame, uh, they weren't overly impressive against Navy, but we all know that Navy can give you fits. Uh, I, I think Notre Dame right now is just the better team of the two, and at home I'll take the Domers. Well, this is probably some good luck for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I mean, it, it sucks that it comes – well, probably not to Notre Dame fans, but it sucks that it comes the way it does for the situation at USC. But they catch a, they catch a USC team in shambles right now with no leadership. And, you know, as we, as we spoke of – I'm going to go in hard on this AD at USC. As we spoke of earlier, you know, it, it starts all the way to the top. You know, I'd almost blame the president of the university as well. So I, I don't think there's any way, not this week, can they go to South Bend and get it together against a good Notre Dame. I like Notre Dame as well. Oh, another scandal. New quarterback for the Florida Gators. Can they go in to LSU and beat the Tigers? No, I don't think so. I think Leonard Fournette is maybe the best football player in the nation. Um and as good as that Florida defense has been, that's a tall task to stop him. LSU's got really good receivers. It's just a matter of being able to get the ball to them. Uh, this may be the time to, to try to do some of that. <laughs> Florida, you, you, you mentioned the loss of uh, Will, Will Greer. Their quarterback is out with the um, uh, PED situation. 
Yeah, he's suspended for the rest of the year out with the PED situation. In comes Trayon Harris. Um, I, I just think Florida, even with Will Greer, was a little overrated. And now that they're going to the backup quarterback, I, I don't see them being able to go to Death Valley and beat LSU. This is LSU's game. I actually think Florida was playing the best football in the SEC, and I thought they had a chance to really win that thing outright and actually come out of the SEC undefeated. Uh, this situation is so sad and unfortunate. Way sadder to me than the situation out in SC, uh, either SC. I like the I like the LSU Tigers just because once again, you know, I, I'm big on identity. They know who they are right now. Florida will once again have to define themselves with a new quarterback. Um, we know the defense is good, but nobody's been able to stop Leonard Fournette. So if Florida can do that, they'll win the game. But I'm not betting on that. I like I like the LSU Tigers here. All in the late game Saturday night. The Utah Utes take on the Arizona State Sun Devils. No, Arizona State goes in to Salt Lake to take on the Utah Utes. Yeah, Utah off a big win. Uh, Arizona State got right a little bit. And I just think that at home in Salt Lake City is not the place to be pulling the upset against Utah. Uh, I, I like the Utes here to keep keep on moving. Booker has been unbelievable this year, and I continue. I think he'll continue against Arizona State, and Berkovicki will eventually make a bad mistake that Utah will seize on. Give me the Utes. Well, we wonder if Berkovicki will throw more interceptions than Jared Goff did, at least in the first half. Um, it was an interception fest out there. Travis Wilson threw a couple up for grabs too. But the Utah Utes defense, special teams, all so much better than what Todd Graham's got with the Sun Devils. Plus, as you said, one of the toughest environments to play at Rice Eccles Stadium. I love the Utes here, and I like what the Utes are doing all the way through the Pac-12. So uh, get your red and black ready to go because you're going to hear a lot about that here on with the Ohio Box. All right, let's get to it. The Big Ten game of the week. You know, ESPN has been slurping up and down with lint in their mouths, a bunch of lint liquors on the khakis. The Michigan State Spartans go in to take on the Piston Blue. The Battle of Michigan, Big Brother versus Little Brother. And recently in this rivalry, it's been nothing but Little Brother whooping up on the Wolverines. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh finds a hat that fits him this week, but that's still not going to be enough. Uh, You look at this game before the season – and Michigan State would have been a pretty decent-sized favorite. Well, now we flip the switch, and Michigan's a pretty big favorite. I think there's a lot of overreaction going on here. Michigan, there's no doubt they have improved, and that defense is a legit defense. But I just I could have, can't imagine what the locker room is like this week in East Lansing with Mike D'Antonio telling his players that they have no chance and the nation thinks they stink and they're not going to be able to go in there and do anything. This Sparty team is going to come out angry and ready to play, and I think they're going to be able to go to the big house and pull up the, uh, pull the upset and slow down all the slurping of Jim Harbaugh. Well, God, welcome back to With an Ohio Bias. Um, you know, <laughs> here's the real thing. The defense has been great. 48 tackles for loss, 15 sacks. Michigan State's got a guy over there with five sacks and Shalit Calhoun. So, oh, yeah, Michigan's been scoring some points. Oh, yeah, the team up north has been scoring some points. But Jake Rudolph ain't no Connor Cook. 
And even though Connor Cook's line is not the same, he can get it to L.J. Scott and Aaron Burridge, who are better than none of the guys that nobody can name for the Piston Blue who catch the ball out there. And I'll take the running back by committee that the Spartans have over anything in Piston Blue. So here, here's the real problem. Yes, they're overrated. Have they been playing well against the teams they have? They've been playing excellent way past anybody's thought and mind and potential. But when you talk about the class of the Big Ten, it starts in East Lansing. It finishes in Columbus, Ohio. And damn sure ain't nobody taking no pit stops. I don't care how many times college game day wants to go there this year. Until they're undefeated come the last game of the season, then you can tell me about this program being back. It ain't back yet. The Spartans, go green, go white, roll on Saturday. The, the other big thing about this game, Michigan hasn't played a big game since 1997, basically. Uh, meanwhile, Michigan State has played big games for the last five years. So there's a little bit of experience factor, too, that goes into to Michigan State and the formula to win this game. So tired of it. All right. Well, that's the college football show for this week. Enjoy your Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night of college football. And don't forget to listen in the book for the best picks and more college football analysis. As always, go Bucks. Buckeyes follow Buckeyes. Blackouts. OH. Iowa. All right. That's pretty good. Get this guy on. We can actually get this thing done early. I thought you were going to go hard for Michigan, man. You've been slipping, uh, saying how good they were. Well, I mean, uh, they've been good. I was right last week, wasn't I? Yeah, you were right. I mean, <laughs> Northwestern team. No, I told you, they they always they, they play well. I don't know how they beat Stanford. Like, it was the worst thing that ever could have happened. I don't know. Have yeah. They're still, I mean, there's for everything that's happened to them, I mean, they're the favorite. Them in Utah right now in the Pac-12. One of those teams is going to the playoffs. Jake, Jake wasn't as uh, stiff on Michigan this week as I thought. So, yeah, we got ahead of schedule, you know. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. The coaching carousel, huge news this week. Sark leaves USC, and the old ball coach leaves South Carolina. Um, a lot's been made about both of them, gentlemen. You could, you could say that uh, the Spurriers quitting on South Carolina, and you could say – the SC quit on Sarkeesian. 
Well, it's been a long week for the initials USC, no matter where you're at, uh, whether it's the East Coast or the West Coast. Uh, you know, the Sarkeesian thing, it just was handled poorly. More than anything is what stands out to me. You, you hope the guy gets the help he needs. He's obviously got a problem. Um, Hayden gave him the opportunity to go to rehab earlier in the year, and that's the reason they're able to fire him. But it's just such a bad look to suspend the guy and then a day later to fire the guy. It just looks like you have no clue what you're doing. Um, You just hope that USC, yeah, fires him, but will stand by him and and help him get the help he needs. Uh, And that's what you hope. He can land on his feet and and build himself back up, get it, hook on with the program, and maybe one day get back to that level. Uh, In uh, Columbia, it it was about time. Um, You could call him a quitter or whatever. He's still one of the greatest coaches of all time. He he won the damn Heisman Trophy. Not a lot of Hall of Fame coaches won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Steve Spurrier, great for a sound bite, but the game has passed him up a little bit and just doesn't have the talent level at South Carolina to do anything. He got out of the way and, and didn't allow these other other universities to use his age and, and his whether he was coming back or not as as. Uh, a recruiting tool. So I, I guess in that regard, it was a, a, maybe a good move to get out of the way now. Hello, guys. John, John, you there? No, John. No, John. I thought it had him. All right. Hold on here. I'll be right back. Give me 30, 45 seconds here. All right.
Okay. Hold on. I'm back. I got to try to get John back on. All right. John. Jake. I'm here. John. John. No, John. How is this possible? John. Oh my God, it's such a bitch. <sighs> he can't just call in like I do. He he could, but I mean, we tried that. Then like, it's hard for him to like because I say a certain time, and if we're not done, it's not done. You know what I mean? Let me try one more time. The problem is I have to call out and then I have to dial back in. That's the problem. So we have to clear the whole line. Do you want me to call out, call back in? Okay. Try one more time. I'm back. Jake, I'm here. Prep by what you sent me in the email, and I'm just rolling from there. How about our brownies this weekend, man? Big one. Jake, can you hear me? I'm here. Oh, thank God. Yo, Jake. What's <laughs> up, brother? How are you? Hey, John. Basking in the glow of a Browns victory. I know. I was just talking to Dee about that. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I, although I find it I find it hilarious, you know, living out here on the West Coast. Whenever the Browns win, I always get texts. Like we just won the damn Super Bowl. Um, I don't know. 
my my buddies from Green Bay, my buddies from Denver, whatever it may be, you know, their team wins, ho hum, whatever. We win, and it's like you know, the earth <laughs> oh, explodes. <laughs> Actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> be, be that as it may, I'll, I'll take it any way I can get it. Amen. Yes, well, you got any insight into this Steve Sarkeesian thing with the USC Trojans? Uh, you know, I, I I blame Pat Hayden personally, uh, and it goes beyond, way beyond this coaching hire to hire before with Lane Kiffin firing him, coming down the sideline, hiring hiring of the basketball coach. The whole program is in shambles to me, and the one person that could have stabilized it was Ed Ogeron, and they kicked that guy in the Cooper on the way out the door. So, and the handling of this, I don't understand how nobody's asking for Pat Hayden to also submit his resignation. You know, it was a tough situation just because um, at at the uh, Trojan uh, annual preseason dinner, uh, you know, this this was a head coach that I guess showed up drunk and. You know, they they tried to sweep it under the rug and say that it was prescription medication. Um, And, and, you know, you you wonder how much of that has played into USC struggles this year. Truthfully, guys, you know, I I feel for for Steve Sarkeesian. You know, the guy's dealing with a divorce. He's dealing with alcohol abuse. And, you know, he's he's got a head, one of the biggest programs in college football. And, you know, I think he just spread himself too thin and it got the best of him. And, you know, I I don't talk about what I do from a professional standpoint, but I, I market for a substance abuse treatment program out here in California. And, you know, I see the effects of what alcohol can do to people. And, you know, in my opinion, this this is a good head coach. And my hope is he can get his life in order and get a second tra- chance and you know, get things on, on track. But, yeah, you said it, you know, Pat Hayden, you know, should he be seen the door? I'm sure USC is going to kind of look into the findings and figure out what exactly happened. And if Hayden knew more about this than he's leading on, it wouldn't surprise me if he was let go as well. Yeah, I, I don't really blame Steve Sarkeesian as much as besides the personal accountability um, and he was actually very forthcoming after the situation in August. You know, the way he handled the media and everything, I didn't like so much the punishment they gave him with him letting the players decide. But, you know, that's whatever they want to do out there. You know, this just speaks more it, it, to me of uh, that program not being able to find its way out of situations like this. Yes, I know this is isolated, but this has been a, a process. Like I've named some of the things that's happened before. I just look at that program as a whole. And they had finally looked like they were turning the corner. As you said, he is a good football coach. But as far as not so much even the winning, but just, you know, getting the scholarships back and everything, the program finally finding its way to a hole, and it's just another major step back. And I don't know if they can recover from this one. I don't care who walks into that door. It's still going to be two or three years before we see them even compete in the Pac-12 again. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in all faith and credit, I hope Strange Sarkeesian finds a way to come back to football after he gets himself right, and I would love to see him coach somewhere else. Um, but I just know that the guy's probably not going to get an opportunity anywhere to the level of a UFC. You know, John, you mentioned Pat Hayden and uh, how he handled that initial incident with the with the boosters at the banquet. 
it, you know, it, it seemed to me that they were talking about rehab and other things like that, and it, it almost feels like Pat Hayden was was using that as the groundwork if something else happened to go ahead and be able to fire him rather than actually saying to Sark, you know what, you got a problem, you need some help, and we're going to mandate that you go get some treatment. Don't worry about the football team. We're going to take care of it until you come back. And, and that's a great, doing, that's a great point you make. And a great point you make about that because we just saw CC Sebastian, CC Sebastian walk away from the Yankees in a postseason. But that's all I'm right. Say it, about there's that. more. There's more important things than like getting your life strained out and getting the help you need. And it, it seemed to me that Pat Hayden wasn't worried about start getting help. He was more worried about covering his ass if this came down again. And then we see what happens now with all this. Uh, Sark coached the Arizona State game drunk and uh, other incidents that have happened and the tequila and the Coors Light and all that other sort of stuff. This stuff didn't just rear its ugly head this year at the banquet. This is, this is as you know, alcohol is a progressive disease that gets worse. And you need to be able to help the person out rather than cover your own ass, basically, is what I feel like Pat Hayden did. Yeah, you still with us? I'm still with you guys. Yeah, I, oh, okay. I completely, I completely agree with with all of that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation, guys. You know, like I said, I I feel for Coach Stark, and like you said, it's you know, I, I think dealing with the divorce and dealing with his um, dealing with one of the top programs in the country, in my opinion, and having a, an alcohol issue and the, you know, I I think it just got the best of him, and like I said, it, it spread him out too thin. I I just hope the guy can kind of turn his life around and and get a second chance. The the biggest piece of the puzzle for me is, you know, this is a good coach. You know, this is a guy that turned Washington around, you know, made them somewhat of a contender in the Pac-12, and you know, he was brought on at USC for a reason. But, um. You know, there's pressure there. And, you know, when you add in all of the outside family elements, uh, I, I think it just I think it just got too much for him. Well, you talk about what's got too much, and this is from the horse's mouth or from the old ball coach's mouth. You know, he said it just was enough, four straight SEC losses, and uh, he pretty much said he's, he's done head ball coaching at the University of South Carolina. Yeah, and, you know, to me, I believe – you know, Steve Spurrier should go down as, you know, one of the best coaches of all time. I mean, this is this is a guy who won a national championship with Florida, probably made a bad decision going to the NFL and, and taking on the Redskins. And, you know, he made major changes with South Carolina, taking them from, truthfully, what was the depths of the SEC East to a yearly competitor uh, in that division. Um, and you saw at the end of his career, he recruited some major stars like Jadavian Clowney, a guy like Marcus Lattimore. And, you know, unfortunately, that's one of the better running backs that came out in the last few years, injured himself twice and probably cost himself a chance uh, or cost that team a chance to be even better than they were. Um, but, man, you know, Steve Spurrier, 70 years old, can't blame him for hanging it up. Not sure I love that he did it here. Uh, in the middle of the season, I think he probably should have wrote it out and, and said, yeah, this is my last year, and, you know, made his swan song around the SEC. 
but obviously, uh, I think I think that he was a great coach and uh, have a lot of respect for what he did. I got a lot of respect for him too. I don't care, you know. I love the old ball coach. He decides to leave on his own terms, and I think that's so much fitting for Steve Spurrier. Uh, the other major issue going on in college sports we see, and we get into it probably when we talk about the game itself, but we saw the situation with the Florida quarterback, and it seems like this program can't catch a break. He was suspended for PED use. He is suspended for the rest of this season and six games of the next season, um, and that is Will Greer with the Florida Gators. You're you're taking you're taking me for a loop on this one, boys. I you know I didn't get the best of this from what, or I didn't I, I didn't prepare for this one. All all I know about that situation, guys, is you know the the Gators are leading on that this was a situation that shouldn't have happened. That he took something that he didn't know that he took, and you know sometimes you can believe in that nonsense. Sometimes you can't. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens in the news over the next week as as the findings come out based on this situation because I think there's more than what meets the eye currently. Um, but man, this this was a quarterback that that was turning the corner, and you know you wondered at the beginning of the season um, if if this kid could play at the college level, and it was interesting. Um, this. This kid was redshirted last year. They wanted to play him, but Will Muschamp promised his father, Will, Gr- Will Greer's father, that uh, he would redshirt him to make sure that he could get settled in at Gainesville and, and get some time to learn the college game and the speed. Um, and, you know, you look at a guy like Muschamp, and this is a guy who lost his job and quite frankly, could have started this guy, uh, Greer, last year and, and didn't do it because he's a man of his word. Um, again, that being said, we'll see what happens with this over the next week. I'm interested to see what uh, what the theory is or what the news comes out on Greer is going forward. Well, taking him at his word, he was a very sad young man, very contrite at the press conference, emotionally overcome. It didn't seem to me like he was faking that emotion um, just because I don't even think he thought he would have the kind of season that he had, and the Florida Gators would be undefeated right now. So I thought the Gators are playing some of the best ball. Uh, it's a real sad situation. So, uh, like you said, you definitely want to see how it moves forward. Um, and it, it was—I mean, I didn't even know that was the standard penalty for PED use. That was something that I learned by the NCAA. So I thought that was a very strict uh, situation where I could see him being suspended for the rest of this year, but for a full uh-huh. season is the is the penalty. So. Is this is that a fact? Is it an is it an NCAA penalty for this? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Because yes. I was going to say the same thing, and it feels like there's got to be more for someone who allegedly took something over the counter that he wasn't supposed to, and has been, for all we know, a good upstanding citizen and football player. Other than that, for him to be suspended for the rest of this year and then the first six games seems awfully harsh uh, for something that is being portrayed as an accident. Well, we talk about another accident and we get into the actual football. Um, one of my takeaways, just to start off the conversation, is a sad situation for the Georgia Bulldogs and another running back being hurt. That Nick Chubb uh, injury was horrific. Um, we pretty much know that knee is donezo. 
uh, and you hope he can get back into a point where he can actually go to the next year. You mentioned Marcus Lattimore. Uh, you almost felt like you were watching that when you saw that situation happen in the Georgia-Tennessee game. Well, you hope it's more of a, a Todd Gurley situation and less of a Marcus Lattimore situation. Uh, he'll have the opportunity, and he has the track record now that he'll be able to get drafted, and maybe he loses some draft spots. But at the same time, uh, there's no doubt his talent and, uh, a, like you said, a, hopefully a speedy recovery. The one guy I blame is Mark Richt, uh, and that's just because I blame everything that goes bad at Georgia on Mark Richt. You know, I, I feel I feel for Nick Chubb, and I, I feel for this Georgia program. Uh, you know, to me, without Nick Chubb, this is a very mediocre bulldog team uh, and somebody that – or a, a squad that, that in my opinion, uh, really needed this guy to kind of compete for that SEC East title. You know, and, and you saw it. Um, you know, Tennessee had, had let teams off the hook over and over as the – uh, early part of the season had gone on, uh, not so much here uh, last week in Knoxville, uh, not being able to hand the ball off late to Nick Chubb uh, most likely cost them that game against the Volunteers. We'll see what happens with this Bulldog team going forward, but you guys know my opinion on Grayson Lambert, and uh, without Chubb, that only makes matters worse. Well, Grayson Lambert wasn't the reason they lost that game. It was the Davis kid who didn't catch a ball that was probably the best throw that Grayson Lambert would ever throw. So they actually had an opportunity to win that game. But it comes down to some of the in-game decisions. But here's here's my biggest problem with the situation. I think we're going to see Mark Rick get another pass as he gets, you know, because Nick Chubb got hurt, so everybody's going to say, oh, well, you know, they had another horrific injury, so Georgia is just Georgia again. Let me step out on the ledge here and defend Mark Rick for a second. Um, you know, you are the Georgia Bulldogs, and you play in the SEC, and you're not going to win the, the SEC every year. What Mark Rick does do, he wins 10 games, 11 games, 10 games, 12 games every year. And th- that's pretty hard to do in the SEC. So, I mean, for all that we've said negatively about Mark Rick, the, the problem isn't the program itself. It's winning big games. And until he does that, uh, there's always going to be backlash against Mark Ray. Well, it seems like he's going to have 20 years to do it. Somebody that didn't have time to do it, but looks like they got a stay of execution is Charlie Strong with the University of Texas and taking out big game Bob Stoops and probably the biggest upset of the week in college football. Yeah, this this was a team that was a 15-and-a-half-point underdog last week. Uh, and really, you know, this was a circle-the-wagon game for Texas. You know, going up against their rival, you know, at the Texas State Fair, they're at the Cotton Bowl, they, they brought their A game. And with the talent they have, gentlemen, um, you know, it wasn't overly surprising. Quite frankly, it was a dominating performance. Uh, the question is, why haven't we seen this previously and, you know, will this continue? We we know that Charlie Strong is a bit of a hard ass, and, you know, he replaced, you know, what people like to say is a, a player's quote, uh, coach, quote-unquote, in Mac Brown. Um, will Charlie Strong get the buy-in from his team going forward? You know, or is this a team that's going to continue to retweet about transfers and things of that nature? You know, I think time will tell. 
You know, Charlie Strong has been weeding out the bad uh, apples here for a while, and there was nobody in the country that needed a marquee win more than he did. And for him to be able to do that in his rivalry game against the team that they were heavily uh, an underdog against, if nothing else, it buys Charlie Strong time to, to get it to where he wants it to be. Uh, whether that's going to be good enough at Texas, we'll find out. But it, like I said, he, it buys him some time. Now there, you could put away the talk of fire Charlie Strong uh, for this year anyways. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. The celebration was a little over the top, but I think it was just such a relief, them getting that huge win. Um, I watched it. It was, it, was, it, it was a great moment in college football. I don't know if that moment carries over the next season. I hope so. But um, like you said, I just don't know where that team has been all year long. Uh, any other takeaways from the action uh, from college football? Absolutely, gentlemen. Uh, man, you know, the Big Ten sure is interesting to me right now. And, and, and you have to wonder, could Michigan be the best team? You know, Ohio State has shown five poor performances in a row. They're 0-5 in their last five against the point spread. Of course, they have won those games straight up. Um, but 0-5 in their last five versus the point spread. Uh, Michigan State, four poor, poor performances in a row. They're 0-5 in their last five versus the point spread. And then this is a Wolverine team that has shut out their last three opponents and previously gave up seven points and seven points to UNLV and Oregon State. That's 14 total points they've given up in the last five weeks. It's interesting, before the season, I was doing a little research, the Golden Nugget out in Las Vegas had posted a look-ahead line for the Ohio State-Michigan game in Ann Arbor, and they set that line at Ohio State minus 16 points. Now it looks as though Michigan may be the favorite, and we'll see how this plays out going forward, and, and we'll especially know uh, where the you know contrast is in the state of Michigan uh, as the Wolverines and the Spartans square off this Saturday. Well, let me say this. They don't play the games in Vegas, and we all love wrestling. And it's one line I think you're all very familiar with. To beat the man, you got to beat the man. To beat the man, you got to beat the man. And the more words of Ric Flair who is still with us. It's, it, it's, it's so, it is so easy to buy into the hype. They have played well on defense, 48 tackles for loss, 15 sacks. But Michigan State has one guy that has five sacks on their team. So does Iowa. So there's a lot of smoke and mirrors here. I think we can all say that the quarterback play there is not even close to any other level of the two teams that you compared them to. And once again, the Ohio State Buckeyes have owned this team, and so has their big brother, the Michigan State Spartans. Yeah, and I think you look at Michigan's schedule. I mean, they they lose opening week to Utah. We all know that Utah is a very, very good team, uh, no doubt there. But, I mean, they're shutting out teams like Oregon State. Uh, UNLV is a better team, but still at home, they better be able to beat UNLV. And when they played BYU, uh, BYU had already been through the ringer of their schedule and at Maryland. And then you get Northwestern, you go up 14 points on Northwestern, and they don't have the offense to – to start throwing the ball around at the big house. So uh, it'll be interesting this week to see Michigan have to play a, a real team in Michigan State, and can they keep this going uh, in a big game? A lot of spotlight, game day being there, a lot of players not used to that kind of scrutiny. 
Um, it, it's, a, it's a huge week to make sure everybody's tucked in on time every night by the catch. Call, call it what you call it. Call it what you want to call it, gentlemen. And, by the way, I love the Ric Flair reference. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a game we must watch this Saturday with the Wolverines and the Spartans. I cannot wait for this one, certainly at the top of my list on the college football card. And you know what? You know, I, I mean, some of these uh, Team Up North fans, the Piston, uh, the, the Piston Blue fans are getting a little out of control, but I understand it's been 10 years since they've been able to say something about that program. So they get they get a week or so to be able to cool about their program. God bless you. Some of us have been just doing it for the last, you know, 25 years since the Cooper era ended in, in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, I, 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 I let it slide a little bit, you know, but after this week, you know, we'll get back to reality. Yeah, so, the, so the, the – no, I was going to say their five-game winning streak is pretty cute compared to Ohio State's uh, last uh, 15 games. You know, to go to go from a team that, you know, is making a little bit of an uprising, I, I'm completely surprised to see how far the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets have fallen over the past few weeks. You know, coming off of what was one of their best seasons in years last year, they had their starting quarterback, Justin Thomas, back. And this looked like a Georgia Tech team that looked to be in peak form heading into the season uh, and beginning the season, beating Alcorn State 69-6, beating Tulane 65-10. They go to Notre Dame. They're a three-point favorite. They lose outright, and then they follow that up. Three more losses to Duke, to North Carolina at home, and then to Clemson last week. You know, I'm interested to see what happens with this Yellow Jacket team. Can can Paul Johnson turn this thing around and right the ship? And is this a team that, that's going to fall into the doldrums of the ACC, or can they turn it around and possibly become bowl eligible? We'll see. Well, the Rambling Wreck is a very appropriate name for the nickname for this team right now. The wheels are off of Georgia Tech. Um, you know, that defense is terrible. They can't stop anybody. Uh, I've said it many times. The team that practices nothing but against the run can't figure out a way to stop the run anytime they play on a Saturday. Uh, I don't know what they do down there defensively, but it's bad. Um, so yeah, I, I think, like I said, I think the wheels are off Georgia Tech at this point. One of the biggest disappointments in college football. I just have me making the Brad Pitt face for most of 12 when Captain Zeta Jones has stolen his phone. So, you know, that's how I feel about it. I didn't see it coming. Well, since you mentioned Georgia Tech, I think one of my biggest takeaways from this weekend is that Clemson is pretty legit. Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech we just railed on a little bit, but they that triple option offense usually gets teams fits. And Clemson had no problems at all with Georgia Tech last week. And that was coming off of a a big win against Notre Dame. Uh, So for them to do that in back-to-back weeks, uh, props to Clemson until they go all Clemson and and lose a game that they shouldn't. You got any other takeaways, sir? No, no other takeaways for me. I, you know, I've I've been speaking Clemson's praises for the last few weeks now, and you know, I've been high on them all season. I, mean, I think Deshaun Watson is one of the most underrated players. You know, in, in my opinion, I I feel like he should get more Heisman contention. Uh, obviously, it's going to be hard to kind of overthrow 
this big Leonard Fournette uh, soiree that we're seeing all across college football on television and in the news. And man, man, is that guy playing it off well, uh, you know, uh, auctioning his jersey for the victims in South Carolina. I mean, great, great move, you know, from a humanitarian standpoint, but also a pretty good move if you're trying to win the Heisman Trophy as far as getting in the hearts and minds of people around the country. Uh, Got to give him some props for that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a legit Clemson team, and they're going to be tough to beat going forward. Well, it was a nice gesture, but it was, once again, pigeonholed by the NCAA because they saw it as a violation. Um, the one thing coming for Leonard Fournette, he's on the cover of SI this week, so we know about that SI curse. Uh, so I'm praying for the best. You talk about the Clemson team. For me, we talk about who's in. Clemson is just on the outside for me. I still have the Ohio State University, number one. Uh, No Big 12 teams for me. I have LSU. Then I go Michigan State. Then I have Utah. And, I mean, pretty much all the the other three teams, all those teams are interchangeable right now. Clemson is right on the edge of five. I do not believe in the Big 12 whatsoever. Before what happened with the quarterback situation, I actually had Florida being a team that could possibly beat. TCU or Baylor, and we saw TCU, which should have lost in Manhattan, but that's why I'm not real big on the Big 12 because I don't see a lot of big defense. Well, real quick to piggyback on the Fournette thing, uh, that that was the other part of it that was great is that he put the NCAA in a corner and, and made them acquiesce. So the NCAA has lifted that policy to allow Fournette to auction his jersey off for charity for the victims of the South Carolina flooding. So he gets even more respect because he made the NCAA bow down and, and uh, look bad in that situation. Uh, as far as my top four go, though, uh, the Buckeyes will remain number one until they are beaten, and I don't see them getting beat. So Ohio State will be number one. Uh, my number two team is Utah at this point. Uh, they've been as impressive as any team in the country and uh, winning big games and doing it in a fashion that looks like they belong there. Uh, I agree with you on the Big 12, but just to me, there's no way I can keep Baylor out at this point. Um, I think they play better defense than TCU, and their offense is just as good, if not better, than TCU's. Although, I, 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 I don't know. I just, uh, I'm just not a big fan of the Big 12. But uh, for this week, I'm going to have Baylor as my number three team. And then my number four team right now is Clemson. Uh, they finally sneak in there after back-to-back impressive victories. And then just on the outside looking out is LSU at number five. Yeah, my my top four stands the exact same as yours, Jake, playing the role of the 2014 Florida State Seminoles. I have the Ohio State Buckeyes in the playoffs. I have the Clemson Tigers, the Baylor Bears, and the Utah U. All right. You can uh, start the end of the book, brother. That's all we got. All right. And welcome inside the book. This is with an Ohio Biases special feature, trying to bring you some wins here, uh, featuring me, Jake, and also uh, John Cost. Yeah, Jake, thanks for having me. As always, you can follow me at Cleveland Cause on Twitter. Uh, love talking college football uh, on social media, uh, please feel free to shoot me a tweet. And, of course, you can find us at With an Ohio Bias on Twitter 
And then uh, to find this podcast is withanohiobias.com slash in the book. John, let's get right into it. And the most interesting game to me is up in the state of Michigan. Um, you, you look at this game, right now Michigan's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. When you talked earlier about the, the Golden Nuggets early games and how Ohio State was supposed to be favored by so much against Michigan. Michigan, Michigan State was actually a seven-point favorite before the season started at Michigan, and now it's jumped all the way in a reversal to Michigan minus seven. Is this a too big of an overreaction, or is this about right? Uh, yeah, maybe, in my opinion. You know, you know to me, I, I can't step in front of the Wolverines right now, especially with this Spartans team that has played under their level of quality all season. And obviously it's a rivalry game, Jake, but, you know, you'll see the best from both teams uh, this Saturday. And, and I believe this Michigan team is, you know, too good. Uh, they've played some really inspired football. Uh, this was a line that opened up six and a half. Um, and I be- believe there was some value on the Wolverines at that point. I know you mentioned seven and a half. I was looking online just a few minutes ago. And I saw it at eight and a half. Wow! Uh, at that number, Jake, the the value is is gone. Um, but you know, with, with Michigan, they're they're a one way team. Uh, I can't step in front of Jim Harbaugh's squad. I, I took Northwestern plus ten last week because of what I thought was perceived value. I won't do it again. Uh, I can't lean. I, I guess if I have to lean, it'll be with the Spartans plus eight and a half. But I'm not stepping in front of this Michigan team. Well, you know, this is one of my favorite plays of the week. I, I think uh, Mark Antonio is going to be in that locker room each day telling his team how bad they, they think that the rest of the country thinks they are, how they got no shot to go into Ann Arbor and upset this red-hot Michigan team. Well, Michigan State's 17-5-1 and in their last 23 road games against the spread. So this is a very good team on the road. And in a rivalry game where they – had experience in big game situations. Uh, I, I just think top to bottom, this roster is better than Michigan's, and this is a big, big-time overreaction uh, to how Michigan is playing this year. So mark this one down as, as one of my picks for the week. I'm taking Sparty uh, in the 7.5, maybe 8.5, maybe 10 points by the time everybody's done slurping Michigan. Keep, keep, uh, this, in mind, though. keep this in mind, though, Jake, because – we saw this last year. If you remember, this was a line, 14 points, or 14 and a half points, I believe it was. Uh, Michigan State in East Lansing against Michigan, uh, up 14, two minutes to play, and D'Antonio had the ability to take his foot off the gas. Michigan had no timeouts, could have took a knee, and decided rather than take that knee, they're going to slam on the gas and run in one more just to kind of put it on Michigan, you know, if this Wolverine team is up at the end of the game, maybe look for some payback. Again, value on Spartans, but I cannot step in front. Uh, this could this could be a, a real barn burner. All right. Um, let's take a look at some of these other games. Let's go out to the Pac-10 on Thursday. Uh, UCLA's at Stanford. This line opened up at five and has now jumped up to six and a half, you know, the key number of seven. Do you, do you take Stanford now before it gets to that seven, or is this line uh, about where it's going to end up? You know what? I I saw on, on my betting site seven points. 
uh, currently, uh, and that's tempting to me uh, with UCLA. You know, the question comes back to whether or not you'll see the good Josh Rosen or the bad one. And, you know, I believe as his UCLA career continues and, and he matures, you'll see more of the good Josh Rosen. This is a Stanford team you love to take points with, not the kind of team you love to lay points with. Uh, and really, you know, this is a quality UCLA team that should be able to stop Stanford from doing what they do, controlling the line of scrimmage, pounding the football. Um, I think the Bruins hang around, and because of that, I think there's some value with the Bruins plus seven. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that key number. If you even could eventually get Stanford seven and a half or by the hook uh, at seven, uh, I, I think UCLA is worth taking a look at here. Now, they've been so beat up defensively, uh, that's well documented. Stanford kind of riding high, but you're right. It's a team that you don't love laying that many points with. Uh, and Josh Rosen on a big stage at night, only game in town. I think he shows up and has a good game. Uh, This game is going to be an excellent one, and I'll take the points if I can get over seven for sure. Yeah, what a great game on Thursday night. Can't beat that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A Big 12 game, West Virginia at Baylor. Uh, Baylor minus 21 right now. The over-under is actually interesting to me in this one, 78-and-a-half. Can they make the total high enough for Baylor? Baylor's gone over the number in five of their last six games. 78-and-a-half, uh, a big number, though. Yeah, I, I can't step in front of Baylor. They they look like they could be the best team in the country to me. Um, and unfortunately, there's just no bargains with this Bears team as the odds makers, you know, have overpriced them knowing that you know, betters are going to be attracted to this squad. It's currently sitting, like you said, at 21 and a half. Um, I think that's too many. Um, but, you know, it's like we talked about with Michigan before. Our Browse squad is a one-way team for me right now. You're either going with them uh, or you're passing. Uh, there's no reason to step in front of this train. Uh, so I'll just take the conservative approach and say Baylor wins this game. You know, if the line comes down a bit, you may want to look towards um, Baylor. You know, the over looks cheap to me, um, but keep in mind, you know, this is a better Baylor squad defensively than we've seen in in years past. And, you know, you're seeing these TCU games and these Texas Tech games fly over the total. And the reason you're seeing that is because these TCU and Texas Tech defenses are not real solid. This is a better Baylor defense, and West Virginia better come to play, otherwise they could get smashed in this game. Um, but, again, 21-and-a-half, a few too many. I'll just pass on this game and, and look for something else on the card. Yeah, you know, I, I look at this West Virginia team, and they're not a, a terrible team. It's just like they can't get out of their own way. Uh, the turnovers, the bad penalties, it's like uh, Larry Fedora decided to be the coach of West Virginia. Tanner Holgerson is making a case as being one of those Larry Fedora-type coaches. Uh, just undisciplined and uh, not getting the most out of his talent. If West Virginia can play an error-free game, I can see him hanging with Baylor. So, yeah, to me, this is a dangerous number at 21. Uh, Big game, uh, Texas A&M at home against Alabama. Alabama hasn't been that great of a cover team on the road. Uh, One six and one in their last eight on the road covering the spread. A&M actually getting four here at home. I actually think uh, A&M could outright win this game. 
and I'll take the four points in this one. What do you think? Jake, you know, I feel like at certain times over the course of the college football season, you get a halfway decent gauge for different teams, where they stand up against the point spread, who they'll fare well against, and who they won't. And to me, the handicap on Alabama is simple. Teams that run north and south pose the easiest of competition for the Tide with, you know, their big and bulky defensive yep. front seven. And, like and the Georgia. Teams that run, yep, and the teams that run east and west pose the toughest. You know, these are teams, uh, you know, that like to kind of go outside those defensive ends, outside those linebackers, try to get to the outside. Uh, those are the teams that are going to cause them problems, teams like Old Miss. You'll probably see, even though Auburn's not the best of squads, they'll probably have some success against Alabama, and I think you'll see that with Texas A&M too. You know, this is an Aggie team that's going to spread the tide out, and that should cause them problems. Uh, You know, I I think this is a very difficult test for Alabama on the road in College Station. It's funny, two weeks ago they were an underdog at Georgia when I believe they should have been favored in that game. Now they're a favorite by four and a half at Texas A&M in Kyle Field. And quite frankly, I believe they should be underdogs. They better bring their A game uh, if they're going to win this one. But, yeah, like you said, I I like Texas A&M plus four, uh, and I believe they're going to upset the tide, uh, and that's going to turn the SEC on its head. Um, Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, so far we're on the same page, it sounds like, on most of these. Let's talk about a team that struggles on the road to cover to a team that struggles at home to cover, and that's the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, one and six in their last seven at home against the spread. Now they take on the pesky Louisville Cardinals and Bobby Petrino, who seem to give them fits every year. Florida State laying seven seems a little high to me. What do you think? I think it's a little scary that we're both on the same side. Normally we're, <laughs> we're both swinging in opposite directions. There's a horrible spot for Florida State. Uh, coming off of a highly contested victory over their rival in Miami last week, You know, now they have to face this Louisville team that I believe may be the most underrated team in the ACC. You know, square betters are going to look at this Louisville team. They're going to say, oh, this is a team that's two and three. You know, meanwhile, the Cardinals are are coming off of a win two weeks ago at NC State. Now they're coming off of a bye, and they've had the last two weeks to prepare and set their sights on this Seminole team. Uh, currently, you, you can get Louisville plus seven. Not sure it's going to stay there all week long. May want to grab it now, but I, I love the seven points. And, again, I think this is an underdog that can pull off the outright upset. An interesting game uh, down in Death Valley, uh, LSU, minus nine against a very good Florida team. On the surface, this line looks pretty high, but now you got the controversy with Will Greer going down. Trayvon Harris coming in. This line opened at six and has moved three points. Uh, appropriate, or is this maybe a – you know, I look at this LSU team, a team that doesn't throw the ball very well, They're and the clock that's going to be moving an awful lot during this game, nine points seems like a lot of points against two very good defenses. Yeah, yeah, you said it. I, I think Florida may have the best defense in the SEC. Uh, went up to Mizzou, handled their business last week, and completely dominated the Tigers. I was pretty surprised by that. You know, now they have to go to Baton Rouge, 
and that is not a tough or not an easy place to play. In fact, Phil Steele in his annual college preview ranks that as the toughest uh, home environment for visiting teams. I believe he swings that as a five and a half point site. Uh, tough to, to you know take the Gators in this situation coming off of a little bit of turmoil. But, you know, to me, Trayvon Harris is a good little quarterback, should be able to hold his own. And if they can stop Leonard Fournette from doing what he does and make that LSU team throw the football, all bets are off. They've got Florida ranked number eight. They've got LSU rated number six. Nine points, quite a few. Uh, Again, you're probably not going to be the most profitable uh, betting against LSU at home on prime time, really tough. Really tough to look Florida. There may be some value there, but uh, no thanks. I'll I'll look for a better spot. Yeah, I'll pass on that one too. I think there's just too many question marks at the quarterback position of both of these teams. Uh, I the the line smells fishy to me at nine. Almost like LSU is going to win by ten. Uh, so we'll we'll keep an eye on it, but I don't think either one of us is going to have a play in that game. Keep, keep in mind, Jake. Keep in yeah. mind, Jake. When when you're dealing with early week line moves, what you're typically seeing from sharp players, because sports books do not take as large a bet during the week as they do on the weekend, a lot of times what you'll see is a. a a syndicate or, or a sharp better take the side they don't necessarily want to take, set up the sports book to have the line be where they want it come Saturday, and then actually come back, Jake, and take the other side for the larger wager, uh, maybe twice the size they would normally bet it, but now at the number they're hoping to have it. Uh, and quite frankly, that could be the situation here with Florida. Uh, I know that's a, a little bit over the top as far as uh, what we typically talk about here on the sports book, but keep an eye on this line. You may see it go down as the week goes on. If you like Florida, bet it now. I don't think you'll see it go up into 10 or 11. No, I agree. I think it'll stay away from that key number of 10. There's no way the books are going to open themselves to exposure on a middle of that of that proportion. Uh, like you said, we opened this line at six. It's all the way up down to nine. That that definitely smells like maybe something's going on there. Uh, great point. Let's talk about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the USC Trojans. USC has to go into Notre Dame with all of this stuff circling around them. Uh, Notre Dame's a seven-point favorite right now. The line opened at five. It's up to seven now. Um is there too many question marks to back USC? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I don't think this coaching issue um, is as big of a deal um, as, as people are making it out to be. Uh, you know, their their new interim head coach, Clay Helton, um, has been with the Trojans for the last few years. In fact, he was the interim head coach a few years back when Ed Ogeron left. Uh, he actually coached the Trojans. Uh, in that 2013 bowl game uh, against UNLV. I'm sorry, that was in Las Vegas against uh, Fresno State. Wow, it's sick that I remember that off the top of my head. But um, that that being said, this is a coach that has been around uh, for quite a while now, Jake. 
So I don't think from a coaching standpoint you're going to have too much of an issue. I just don't. I just don't see betting against Notre Dame as a real profitable venture right now. They haven't missed a beat uh, making the transition to Deshaun Kaiser uh, as one of their uh, or as their new quarterback coming from the backup role. Uh, and quite frankly, outside of a couple two-point conversions, uh, took Clemson, who I believe is one of the best teams, to the wire uh, in Death Valley uh, there in Greenville. Uh, quite frankly, I, I don't want to step in front of Notre Dame with anybody. Uh, I, I like I like the uh, the Irish to win by ten or more uh, pretty easily over this USC team. The the one uh, thing I look at with this rivalry is Notre Dame just hasn't had a lot of success recently against USC. Three and ten in their last thirteen games against the Trojans. Uh, it's scaring me off a little bit. That number's scaring me off a little bit, especially when you talk about a USC team that still has a ton of talent and a very competent quarterback. Uh, it's probably a stay-away game for me. If I if I picked a side, uh, I would I would take USC if I could get more than a touchdown, but I'm not going to do it with all the, the issues and distractions circling uh, the USC program right now. Uh, Last one of these major games, you might as well talk about it. You got the dark night at uh, the shoe this week in Columbus. Ted State comes in as a 17-point uh, dog, and Ohio State just feels like they're on the verge of maybe breaking out offensively, and maybe a big-name program is what it's going to take to get their attention, uh, coming off uh, what looked like a semblance of an offense despite it being a two-quarterback system now that Ohio State is employing. Uh, the only issue with Ohio State, though, 1-6 against the spread at home in the last seven. Jake, in all truthfulness, I've, I have had what has been a, a relatively decent season so far, uh, been pretty profitable thus far, and that has been on the cusp of not touching Ohio State all season. <laughs> you know, I, I, I bet them a little bit earlier in the year over the total, I learned my lesson with the defense. Uh, that's a quality defensive squad. And you're taking out a Penn State team, you know, that kind of hangs their hat on the defensive side of the ball as well. Yes, I believe Christian Hackenberg can play, but I think they have some major depth concerns. Uh, right now, this is a line sitting at 48.5. To me, the only way to look at this game from a depth standpoint is Penn State's going to have some issues going into the second half of this game. Might want to look at the Buckeyes in the second half, but I kind of like under first half, if you can get maybe 24 and a half, uh, you may see something like uh, 14 to 10 or 14 to 7 or, or even less potentially, as both teams are probably going to feel each other out. Penn State knows they can't blow out Ohio State. If they're going to beat this Buckeye team specifically on the road, they're going to have to do it with defense. I don't think they open up their playbook too much, and I think ultimately what you'll see uh, is a low-tempo, try-to-run-the-ball, try-and-keep-possession-type situation. Uh, and from that standpoint, you know, I kind of like under first half and then maybe, just maybe, Ohio State second half uh, as Penn State begins to wear down as their lack of depth uh, – starts to haunt them and then of course uh we we missed last week as far as the podcast goes but we got your under the radar picks uh up on the website you had a winning week 
who you got for us this week that might uh, not be on the main stage this for college football? Oh yeah, I love this favorite part. Favorite part of the show for me, my under the radar picks. They've been pretty profitable this season. I hope I, I don't jinx it. A little knock on wood over here on the West Coast. Um, looking at a couple lines right now that are interested to me. How about the University of Akron plus eleven and a half points at Bowling Green? Uh, this is Terry Bowden's. Uh, I believe third or fourth year uh, in Akron now, and he may have the best defense in the MAC conference. Three or four players that have come over from D1 teams uh, that have transferred to Akron and have really done a good job uh, putting Akron on the map defensively. And, and quite frankly, Jake, this is one of those typical great offense versus great defense games. Obviously, Dino Babers uh, and this Falcon squad can really put points on the board. Uh, but when you again you have those great offense versus great defense games, you tend to like to side with the great defense, especially when they're getting 11 and a half points. I think there's plenty of value, and I'll roll with the Zips on Saturday. Uh, a couple teams that I like favored. How about the New Mexico Lobos minus five and a half versus Hawaii? Man, this is an absolutely horrible spot for Hawaii. Fourth time thus far this season, Jake, that they've made the trip to the mainland. And this is a beat-up Hawaii Warrior team. Last week at home against San Diego State, they were out-yarded 402 to to 250. Now they have to go all the way out to Albuquerque uh, and take on what I believe is an underrated Lobo team, the kind of team that likes to run the ball, control the clock, and when you have a beat-up team, specifically a beat-up defense, uh, you really wonder – uh, how they're going to fare, especially in the second half, kind of like we talked with Penn State. I like uh, laying five and a half with uh, uh, Bob Davies' Lobos, and they should control that game rather easily. And maybe the the squarest play uh, I'll give you on the uh, with Ohio podcast uh, with Ohio bias podcast. I'll go ahead and just lay the twenty and a half with TCU. Or we saw what Iowa State did last week. Uh, going to Texas Tech, losing 66-31. to 31. It wasn't even that close. Uh, this is a Texas Tech team coming off of two losses to TCU and to Baylor. Now they have Iowa State, uh, and they absolutely dominated them. Now Iowa State goes home. They have to play what I believe is a better team in TCU, uh, who ran into a tough spot against Bill Snyder's Kansas State team, Always difficult not only to, to play in Manhattan, but specifically win. Uh, to me, I'll lay the 20 and a half, and I'll just look for TCU to, to dominate this game. And, and again, when you're undefeated and you have to take on the likes of Baylor, points are a premium at the end of the season. So if they're up 21 in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go, you know they're going to continue to try and score because they have to. So, yeah, look at TCU minus 20 and a half, and those are my three under-the-radar plays, and good luck with those. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I'm going to take on the main stage. I will take Sparty. I'm taking on the Wolverines, getting in front of that bus uh, with seven and a half points. Uh, Hopefully it even goes up a little higher, but uh, I feel good with seven and a half. Uh, I will also take the Aggies at home. Uh, I'll take the four points, but I think that uh, might be a money line play as well as I think Texas A&M goes on and handles Bama. We're both pretty much in agreement with that pick. 
Uh, and then John is a big fan of the Zips, a little action over Bowling Green. Bowling Green's offense has been running roughshaw over people, but Akron uh, in a conference game and that many points, I love that play a lot. And then you got uh, the Lobos over the Hawaii Wounded Warriors. And finally, the Horn Frogs of TCU over the Cyclones of Iowa State. So those are your uh, five big plays for the week. Hopefully you tag along and we can make you a couple bucks. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. In the meantime, keep cashing. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it, my friend. All right, gentlemen. More than for the week. Gentlemen, I appreciate it. It's always great being on the show and uh, chatting it up with you guys, getting your perspectives. Jake, I'm a little nervous knowing that both of us are on the same side <laughs> most of these games. Usually you should that, be nervous because I've been getting killed. <laughs> Have you had a, have you had a pretty decent season or have you been struggling a little bit? No, you know what I've been. I'm probably down. I'm down a little bit this this year. Um, uh, I haven't had the greatest start. You've been staying away from the Buckeyes. I've been just waiting for them to break out, and that hasn't worked out too well for me. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. I I I don't know. I don't know what's going on with these guys. Uh, you, you know, obviously they've got they've got the talent. Um, and I mean, we, we talked about, you know, losing the offensive coordinator and how much of a toll that, that has taken, but I mean, they got urban Meyer, man, they, they, they should be able to to turn the corner and, you know, I, I don't have any bias towards Ohio state or towards Michigan or whatever you guys know. I, I roll with my Bearcats, but you know, I'm, I'm not BSing you guys when I'm talking about this team looking like the 2014 Florida state team, just kind of winning games, hanging around, doing what they got to do to win, but, but not doing it in an exciting fashion. Um, I, I hope, I hope they can turn it around, but I don't know what's going to spark it. Maybe you guys can tell me. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how Cardell Jones has played this year. You know, a lot of the, the value on Ohio state was based on Cardell being one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And he hasn't even come close to that. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I, I see this quarterback situation, maybe just maybe working out a little bit like Florida did with Leak and Tebow, Uh, almost like a reversal of roles though. It's like Cardell is the, is the leak and JT Barrett's the Tebow, but the body types don't match. A little interesting uh, swing to it. Um, hey, real quick before you go, what do you, what's going on with this Cincinnati BYU game? Uh, I, I noticed there's no lineup yet. Is Gunnar Keel playing? Is Mangum playing? What's holding this up? And what do you think the line will be? Yeah, that's that's what's interesting is both Mangum and Keel um, are are playing. You know, to me, if you're Cincinnati, what what are you what are you worried about? Just playing Hayden Moore one more week? Give Keel some time to get healthy and, and get back. Uh, you know, if, if you remember, you know, he got injured against Miami and they rushed his ass back against Memphis four days later and poor guy got injured again. You know, if, if he's even questionable, you know, you have, you have a quality player in, in uh, Hayden Moore, who I think has handled his own and quite frankly, maybe outplayed Gunnar Keel. So to me, I I just roll with Hayden Moore, and you know if if you want Keel later in the season, if it's his squad, so to speak, 
you know, wait a week and make sure oh, yeah, that he's 100%. I, just got, I, gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> with, with, with Mangum, I'm not sure, but um, I think you're, if, if he doesn't play, you've got to look towards Cincy, Jake, just because, um, you know, I think I talked about it in the podcast a few weeks back. Taysom Hill, I was really high on. Tanner Mangum, he was an elite 11, one of those elite 11 ESPN quarterbacks coming out of high school, went on mission for four years, um, and, and made the transition and, and was just going to take the leap uh, from Taysom Hill. Um, but this this guy has had the tools, you know, for many years now, and, and I don't think it was a rough transition. Going into this third-string quarterback, and I need to read up more about him, uh, not not the same level as Hill or Mangum, and you should see a drop-off there. Of course, with BYU, they're just going to run the football anyway, and Cincinnati's had a tough time stopping the run. Uh, so maybe looking at the over might be a little bit of a value uh, just because, I mean, hell, you saw it with East Carolina. They went in last week, and they were able to score on BYU. Looks like they struggle a little bit with teams that are going to play the spread, and that's exactly what Cincy's going to do, whether they have Keel or more. So, yeah, to me, um, the over might have some value, especially if Mangum plays. Um, you know, and if this line is double digits like it was against East Carolina uh, last week when they came into town, uh, might might want to look Cincy's way as well, but um, why don't why don't we uh, tweet or email later in the week as as things go further and um, yeah we'll go from there. Good deal, man. Good talking to you. Great talking to you as well, D. As always, I appreciate it, and uh, I will see you guys soon. All right, John. Take care. Bye bye. You still there, D? You there, D? Or you yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm still here. <laughs> or, uh, everything's good, man. I just got to go. <laughs> just wait for you guys to finish up. All right. All right. Catch you here a little bit. All right, good deal, man. Bye. <laughs> Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.